Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, I am very happy to have on my recent ex-chief resident, Dan Edelman, who just graduated a neurosurgical residency here at Rush and has started fellowship in Skull Base at Indiana University uh, with Dr. Aaron Cohen-Gadal. Uh, Dan is from Indiana originally, and I asked him on this uh, show to discuss something he is recently very expert in, which is being a chief resident in neurosurgery. As you'll hear, Dan did it a little longer than most due to changes in our program structure, but we'll get into that. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, JP. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, Dan, I kind of went into your background a little bit, but so our listeners can get to know you better, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you down this career path? Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah. Um, So like you said, I grew up in Indiana, small town, uh, Columbus, Indiana. I didn't really get interested in medicine until high school. Uh, An old girlfriend, her dad was a a general surgeon in my hometown, and he kind of let me shadow him in the OR. Um, I thought that was something really interesting that I could maybe be pretty good at. So I kind of went down the surgery path, went to med school at IU, um, got interested in neurosurgery late in my third year, uh, later than most, I think. Um, Just kind of liked the cases, the people the the pressure the high risk high reward kind of nature and seven years uh, of residency later um, here I am right seven long years and on that note uh, as I kind of alluded to you were chief for longer than most residents because kind of when your residency started that was when we were just transitioning at Rush from a six year to a seven year program. Uh, can you help our listeners understand kind of how that transition occurred and, and why you wound up doing extra chief time? Uh, yeah, other than being exceedingly lucky, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, we knew signing up that the ACGME had just a year before I was going to start uh, kind of mandated that all programs in the country be seven years. Uh, some were six and some were seven. Rush was six for uh, forever. Um when I signed up, I knew it was going to be seven. Um, but interestingly, you know, that the change didn't happen until the guys ahead of us, uh, ahead of me, um, were the first to have to do that seventh year. So there was a year where we had no residents graduate. Um, and those guys did, you know, as everyone else before them had done, did their chief year, the sixth year, uh, in order to bridge the gap, um, to make that seventh year, the chief year, uh, they did, you know, an extra half a year during the beginning of their seventh year. Uh, and then Joe, my, my co-chief and I, we took over halfway through our sixth year uh, and did six months and then did a full, you know, our whole seventh year as well. That's kind of how it happened. Yeah. And, you know, I remember that time, obviously, I, w- I was an intern when you came in in January as chief. And then I was your PGY2 for all of last year. And I remember during my intern year for the first half, 
you were just a senior operative resident. You were not really around just some mysterious guy who would call me to sign out a patient after surgery. But then in January, right when I was becoming more experienced in staffing consults and, and handling things more, that was right when you took over. So we kind of, our, our relationship within the residency changed as we both transitioned early into the positions we'd occupy for all of last academic year. I wonder on your end, as you were approaching chiefdom, did you think about how your relationships with the other residents would change? And did they change at all? Was it what you expected? You know, um, that's a very interesting question because I had seen, I guess, you know, six classes of residents before me um, go, you know, kind of make that transition. And it was really interesting to see how everybody kind of handled it differently it was you know you always kind of thought you knew how certain people would be as a chief uh once you kind of step into that role and assume all that responsibility and kind of have to lead uh the people below you um so i certainly had my own expectations about how i would be and how it you know that kind of pressure and responsibility would affect me um and to some degree i think a lot of it was what i expected um but at the same time, there's no way to really prepare yourself entirely or, or kind of predict how how you're going to be as a chief. So there were certainly, I think, some surprises um, just in how it, how it really felt once I was in it. And certainly the extra six months um, was not unnoticeable, I will say. But as far as as far as the relationships with the residents, I mean, I I didn't feel like it changed a ton from my end i mean certainly not from you know being a senior resident as a you know the first half of my sixth year going into chief year i mean i felt like the relationships i had uh i felt like i had really good relationships with with all the residents and that was something i worked hard at so i don't i don't think that that changed a ton um but you know certainly it's a little bit different when you're you're the end of the line everybody's kind of looking to you for for what to do. That was, that certainly changed a little bit. So Dan, congratulations on graduating and starting your fellowship. We, uh, we have three chief residents here in Miami and uh, each one of them brings a particular, uh, if you will, personality to the service as they take over. And we're always reminded that part of neurosurgery training mandates that uh, the chief take on a organizational responsibility. And, and administrative responsibility, if you will, things like making out the call schedule and all that. So JP and I kind of wanted to do today's episode as a welcome to the new rising chiefs, the rising PGY-7s. Um, and since you have such a long perspective on it, we thought we would talk to you. And, you know, it's very interesting to me when you transition to this phase, you bring a particular flavor to it. Like I think back to when I was a resident, Charles Liu and I were co-residents at USC and Charles was very hands-off. Uh, I was very hands-on, and so if people wanted to, say, change their call schedule, they would come to me, we would vet it out, we'd talk to people, and Charles like, you guys can frickin' sort this out yourselves because I'm not <laughs> going to do this, right? So mm -hmm. tell us about the rain that you had, the, the Edelman rain for 18 full months, right? So tell us about that rain and, and how maybe it differed as you took the reins over from your predecessors. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the Edelman rain. Um, that's really interesting to think about. Uh, and it, it, you're right. It is kind of funny how almost naturally um, a class of chief residents will sort of find their way into particular roles uh, kind of based on their personalities and how they interact with each other. 
Um, so it was just the two of us, Joe, Joe Melinda and I, he, he just took a job out in York, Pennsylvania. And Joe and I uh, were similar in a lot of ways, but different in a lot of ways too. Um, my approach to it uh, was kind of obviously very influenced uh, by my predecessors, you know, my chiefs and, and those who did it before me. Um, I, I think I'd like to think I sort of took or tried to take sort of the best things or what I thought were the best things of the guys before me and, and learned from the things I thought could have been done better. Uh, I certainly was not anywhere near perfect at it, but um, I tried to, to be hands-on where I thought it was appropriate and necessary. And, and kind of like you said, there were certain things where I was, I tried to be hands-off because part of, I think, uh, leading a team of people is, uh, delegating, uh, appropriately, you know, giving out tasks or, or responsibilities, uh, based on, you know, what, what level that resident's at and kind of, you know, putting a little more responsibility on them as time goes on so that they can grow. Um, so yeah, I mean, the call schedule, it, it kind of just worked out. Joe, Joe and I got along so well that we were able to, to divide tasks and we split, we split it up by, you know, six month blocks making the call schedule, which by the way, is a huge pain in the ass more so than I ever thought it would be. Um, and then when it came to, you know, room assignments and, um, you know, kind of, divvying out responsibilities to the residents, we kind of just naturally fell into a, uh, our own roles. I, I gravitated more towards the cranial stuff and Joe gravitated more towards the spine stuff. And, and along with that, we kind of found our own mentors amongst the, the t- attendings. And um, I don't know, I thought it worked out pretty well in the end. I mean, I, I could I could say as your junior through the time that it did, and and for all the pain of making a, a six month call schedule, it was very nice to know well in advance when you're on and when you're off for for planning the rest of our lives. Um, but I wonder, as you talk about the way that you were as chief and the Edelman reign, and thinking back to your previous chiefs, your previous seniors, seeing the ways that it had been done well or done poorly, and what you planned to be as a chief. I wonder if there are any instances or any ways of being that you noticed throughout the year and a half that what you planned to be wasn't working and you tried something else or a way that you never thought you would be you found was necessary. Can, can you think of anything that didn't quite meet with your plans and how you came to realize, oh, maybe I should change what I'm doing here? Yeah, there was uh, plenty, plenty of that. Uh, <laughs> it was it was a constant constant learning process and i think neurosurgery as a career has to be a constant learning process i think we always have to ask ourselves what we're doing well and what we're not doing well and and how can we get better i think i certainly tried to do that so there were yeah there were plenty of um you know things i i had to get better at i think particularly for me you know i get really i noticed early on you know the over kind of, I got overwhelmed with the amount of responsibility, you know, trying to be five places at once and manage 14 residents or whatever, and also manage four or five, you know, if you're on the cranial service, like four attendings schedules, who, by the way, none of them have any idea what any of the other ones are doing. Uh, you know, they, if they need a, a case edit on in a room, they just expect it to be done. And 
you know, right. they don't, they don't want to hear about what the other attendings have going on. That's really making it hard for, for you as a chief to, to manage their schedule. Right. So early on, I think, and this was something I picked up on, you know, some of the guys ahead of me really kind of made it a priority to sit kind of, you know, save their own skin to some degree. Like it was all, it was all about making themselves look good for the attendings right which there's there's value in that right you want to you want to do a good job for your mentors and and that's part of it but i think you have to balance that with the reality of managing an entire team of people and managing an entire service um it's kind of an impossible job right trying to keep everybody happy uh it's just it's just not going to happen um but i i think there was a lot of give and take and um I think once I realized that I could really make a lot of those decisions, a lot of the scheduling stuff, you know, getting rooms here and there and which cases were most important. And once I kind of gained enough trust of the attendings, you know, if I told them, Hey, this, this case has to go first and this case is going to go, you know, you got to follow this. I think a lot of that pressure and anxiety um, to please everybody kind of went away. Um, so that that was probably the hardest adjustment for me but yeah so along those lines you know let's talk about the two perspectives in terms of when you're scheduling uh the 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 cases so the morning of right 7 30 starts you've got all these rooms going you've got all the house staff and you got all the attendings and you're the person in the middle right Mm -hmm. so on the one hand you have to make assignments to residents and and do you for example, say, well, look, I'm just going to take whatever cases I want. You guys can sort the rest out. How do you approach that? And then on the other side, how do you approach the problem of when an attending, two different attendings, let's say, want the same resident or fellow or want the same level of support? How do you approach this very sticky political situation, which is really part of the chief year learning? Because I think that every chief uh, that goes through this has to face both sides of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I was really getting at that was one of the hardest things to adjust to. And, and I didn't always do it right. Um, I will say, but you know, I just, I, I approached it more from a, a team out outlook. I think, you know, of course I want to do what I think is best for me. And I, I want to do the cases I want to do. And there were times where I would do a case that I wanted to do. If it, even if it didn't really make the most sense for the entire service, but I found oftentimes that became, more of a problem than it was worth. Uh, and that we, we were so busy clinically and surgically that there were, you know, I wasn't going to lack for experience in surgery. So I, I learned pretty quickly that it made more sense to me and it was less painful for everybody to kind of, you know, maybe do a, a room, uh, that I didn't necessarily want to do. Um, because it just made more sense, uh, in the grand scheme of things to have, you know, a, a different senior resident cover the room I wanted to do uh, and cover a room that, you know, just made more sense to, to cover everything appropriately and keep, you know, keep everybody happy. Um, but it was a balance for sure. I mean, there you know, you want to get the most, you know, personally, you want to get the most out of your training uh, that you can, but it, but you also have to keep in mind that there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved. And um, it certainly, uh, was was a challenge, and I think it took me a few months to figure that out. But but I think it worked out. I think it worked out too. Um, 
I, I would say, again, from the junior perspective, kind of having leadership that took the team mentality uh, helped myself as a junior resident get in the OR much more than I think I would have otherwise. But again, kind of let people sort out and find the rooms that they wanted to be in. Um, I wonder if you could talk about, and you briefly touched on it, but you know, we, we talked about how the relationship with your fellow residents and juniors may have changed or not changed. But as you assumed the chief role and started managing, as you said, the schedules, the rooms, the patients for all your attendings, did you find that your relationships with the attendings changed or kind of continued as they were in a more frequently interacting or just a deeper sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, having had, um, five and a half years or whatever it was to build those relationships. Um, you know, I, I wasn't starting from nothing when I became chief, right? They, most of the attendings knew what I was capable of. And I had taken some weekends of chief, you know, and vacations when the, you know, the current chiefs were out of town. So I wasn't starting from scratch, but once I really took the reins, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you're talking to them every single morning. Uh, and what I realized very quickly was, from day one, like they, you know, they gave me a lot of autonomy to make decisions, which is overwhelming uh, at first, uh, because you realize that, you know, you, more, more so than kind of asking for their approval, you're really kind of uh, telling them what's going on. Like they want, they want you to run the show. Um, and that's, uh, scary at first for sure uh, but it's also necessary because you know once you're out there on your own you're you are the one making those decisions and so to have had you know a year and a half uh have have that experience um really kind of being the one making the decisions um i think is invaluable and i, I don't know if it's that way everywhere but I, I feel very grateful that that i was you know i had that kind of relationship uh, with my attendings and they had enough trust in me to to manage their patients and take care of their patients and, and operate on their patients. And so absolutely the, the relationship, um, much, much so for the better, uh, developed very quickly and, and I think blossomed and got stronger. And, uh, I, I felt by the end, you know, I felt more like a colleague than, than a resident. Um, they, you know, but by, by the end, you know, Dr. Munoz was, you know, if you find cases, you can staff them with me, but, you know, just do what you want to do. Position them how you want, approach how you want. You know, I'll be looking over your shoulder to make sure that you aren't doing anything crazy, but, you know, you're ready. So so I want you to act like you're the attending. And that I, I definitely feel very humbled and grateful um, that I got to that point uh, in my relationship with a number of attendings to to get that they had that much trust in me. So Dan, one thing that strikes me in our conversation, and it does with all of the chief residents I speak of speak to, is that there really isn't a lot of formal preparation for this. And so when you talk to folks, like you had mentioned a couple of times, like, you know, you're surprised by, you know, how what a pain in the ass it'd be to make a call to get all these things, right? And that's part of the rite of passage because let's just let our listeners know that if you're not in residency, that chief residency is not necessarily part of every residency. For example, in internal medicine or pediatrics, often the chief resident is doing an additional year of chief year. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case for, 
specialties like neurosurgery where everybody's expect, expected to have passed through chief residency to become a graduate in, in our specialty. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can tell the, the listeners who are a little younger out there who are thinking, okay, well, I'm a PGY1 or PGY3 or PGY5, and I'm, I'm starting to get nervous about how I am going to be as a chief. I'm only <laughs> going to get to do it once. What would I have done differently as Dan Edelman that might have gotten me a little bit better prepared for this? Yeah, um, I was very fortunate that I had, um, you know, two guys right ahead of me, Mina, Mina Corollis and Ryan Kachansky were the Chiefs um, just one year ahead of me. And so I had uh, a very good relationship with them and, and as did Joe and we, the kind of the four of us, were the ones that had to sort of bear the brunt of making this transition and do a year and a half of chief. And um, if there was anything I could do differently, you know, I think I would have leaned on them even more than I did uh, before I became chief and paid more attention to the details of what they were doing um, because they, they got me through so much of residency, you know, they were just a year ahead. So everything they went through, you know, I could lean on them to, uh, get their experience and their advice. And I certainly did, but, um, you know, by the time I took over, uh, you know, they still had six months kind of left over after they finished their chief, uh, tenure, uh, to sort of do whatever they wanted and still do cases or, or go to clinic or whatever. Um, and by that point, you know, they were like, dude, I've already, I'm done. I've finished chief, you know, my, my responsibilities are up now. It's kind of like, they were already thinking about the next step. And so, and rightfully so they, they, they did a great job and they, they put in the work. And I think by that point, there were a lot of times I wanted to run something by them or, you know, what would you do in this situation? And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, but they, they, and I, there were times I did, but I always felt bad because they, they were done at that point. And if I could go back, I think I would have paid more attention, you know, during my fifth and sixth year to how they were running things, how they made the call schedule and how they, you know, managed four or five different attendings at once. And, um, uh, I think that would have been really valuable. Well, Dan, as we're wrapping up here, I wonder if you could just look back on the last year and a half and anything you could offer to the new class of rising chiefs, be it general, be it specific advice, um, any of those tricky situations, how to make a call and, uh, make a decision about a new patient, perhaps while operating, um, any of those little scenarios that you might have a pearl to offer them for um, looking back? Sure. Uh, Well, um, not a specific thing, but uh, in general, I think the way I ended up looking at it was, you know, the chief year, to be frank, chief, being a chief resident is is really not a lot in a lot of ways, not really like being a neurosurgeon, right? You show up and you round on 20 or 30 patients or whatever, and you call five different attendings and you make the plans and you, you're putting out fires and, you know, every consult that comes in runs through you and you're managing the whole service. And then you go to, you do all that before 730 and then you go to the OR every day, all day, right? And then you're on call every other night. And I mean, you're really, you know, like up to your eyeballs in it. And that's not really what I'm finding now that I'm kind of out of it, out in fellowship. It's that's not really what being a neurosurgeon's like, certainly not from a schedule perspective. Um, but use the chief year as an opportunity 
to make that to get your you know get in the mindset of being an independent you know neurosurgeon don't i think once i got to the point where i wasn't calling the attendings asking what they would do um and i was more calling them and telling them what i think we should do i i sort of thought of myself as more like a colleague you know and and i gained enough self confidence in what i thought should be done i wasn't always right there were plenty of times i was wrong but you have to start thinking like Hey, I'm I'm a neurosurgeon now. I'm not a resident. You know, I'm not. There's nobody holding my hand. There's nobody backing me up. But if you can start thinking like that as a chief before you're before you're done, um, you know that I think that gives you a huge advantage because then then you're ready. You know, you're ready before you're even done. Uh, and, and then you still have, but you still have that support network, that back, that fallback, right? Uh, of of the attendings uh, to get you out of trouble. And I think that that's if you can get that, get to that point before you're done, I think, I think that's, uh, really an advantage. And then lastly, I would say, you know, just show up, uh, show up and do the work and lead by example. Uh, I really tried to do that. I certainly did not succeed at all times, but, you know, if you expect people, you know, your junior residents to, to work hard, uh, you've got to be working even harder. Uh, it's just the way I, I look at it. You know, you've got to be the one showing up and, and doing the work and, and everybody else will follow you. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I think the best advice I could give. Well said. Well, uh, congratulations again on finishing residency after an extra long period as chief. I think in the past year, I have spent enough time taking your attention on the phone and by text while you're at home. <laughs> so we so we should probably wrap up there. Um, I know we, we, we have talked about doing this interview for a while. Uh, I do think that you're in a unique position to kind of speak to chiefing since you did it for an extra amount of time. And, and I'm sure that the folks around the country who just started with the job will glean any number of useful insights and uh, tips from this episode. So, uh, Dan, always good to talk to you and uh, good to hear from you again since you left us. Thanks for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Uh, glad, to, glad to have been here. Mm-hmm.